I mean, I just learned to play from listening to those records. Mm-hmm. And Hal became a good friend. And that was very cool, too, because I could just sit and talk with him and have, you know, just have laughs with him. And he actually used my drums once when he was playing in New York in 1985. He was okay. touring with David. He was touring with David Grisman. And uh, so I got to actually be his drum tech on this episode of playtime i take a look at the lost album from the smithereens with drummer dennis dykin i'm your host wc kirk i'm sexy Playtime podcast with W.C. Kirk, my conversation with guitar shredding legend Kristen Pelletieri, and a candid conversation with Pink Floyd's Lorelai and Durgan McBroom, Raven's John Gallagher, and folk singer-songwriter Carla Bonoff. And coming up on a special Halloween edition of Chicago Writes, author Dan Klefstad on marketing horror and reimagining a genre, only on the official podcast of the Chicago Writers Association. That's at chicagorights.org or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I have had the pleasure of seeing my guest in action twice with the band he helped found, once with the larger-than-life frontman, the late great Pat Denizio, uh, at the legendary Lounge Acts back in 1991, and again in 2018 with Marshall Crenshaw. Dennis Dykin is the drummer for the Smithereens, which will perform for one night only in Chicago on November 2nd at City Winery, citywinery.com. This on the release of the band's new raw and gritty The Lost Album. Dennis, w- what's the name of that album again? It's called The Lost Album. The official website uh, is uh, officialsmithereens.com. How's it going, brother? It's going good. You know, uh, we're really stoked that this has finally come out. It's been absolutely languishing in the vault since 1993. And we're gonna we're gonna get to the a little bit of that story here in a bit. Uh, but you 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 came through the uh, the COVID tunnel, uh, okay? Yeah, I did have it this summer. It wasn't that bad. Um, okay, you know it uh, knocked me down for a couple of days. I was mostly tired, and that was yeah. Fortunately, that was the extent of it. I had some other afflictions this year i had a bad flu and bronchitis that were much much worse oh my gosh so, i i hope you're hope you're healthy now and uh amid a uh a kind of a national tour yeah we're doing mostly uh yeah i feel great thanks and um we're it's not a tour per se where we we're jumping on a bus and we're, we're going from city to city we're mostly 
doing extended weekends, uh-huh. which um, I guess it's still part and parcel of a, a year long tour, but we just have some breaks in between, you know? Yeah, so yeah. It, it's nice to be out there, especially after having been cooped up for, well, we weren't totally cooped up, I guess for about a year, because we went out in 21 when okay. things were coming up, coming down a little bit, but uh, then then uh, we kind of hunkered down a little bit, but, and then now we're back out again. Any any lessons that you learned from this? We we've had we've had an ongoing conversation with this. We were on the air uh, for the for the radio show throughout this uh, this uh, the the lockdown, the COVID and the pandemic, talking with theater people. Paul Michael Glazer is is a dear dear friend uh, and and uh, and joined us on the show to talk about theater and film. Uh, we talked about we we talked with the cast of uh, of the the Chicago. Uh, Chicago Fire, Chicago, uh, Chicago PD, um, and Chicago Med series, and they were all they were all in this bubble. We just spoke with uh, uh, Joe Lewis Walker, who uh, his ba- he he says his band is in the bubble. So if you're if you're in the bubble, then then you're in the bubble. If you're if you're out of the bubble, then then you can't associate with the band. John Gallagher from Raven, they just went ahead and toured, and so we we got these sort of mixed. The, these mixed strategies for how to deal with this. And I'm wondering if you guys maybe learned any lessons because this doesn't mean anything if we haven't learned anything from it, right? I guess I guess what I learned is um, I'm okay being a homebody. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my wife and I just, we not only love each other, but we like each other. So being together, because she was able to work from home too. So we okay. spent a lot of time together and uh, I guess, uh, you know, I have so many things to keep me busy that uh, I, I didn't mind being home. But do you mean as a band, what did we learn? Well, no, I, you know, I, I, so so I guess being in the moment or, or being with with loved ones or 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 sort of spending spending time that that rare amount of time with with your wife, as as I did, the wife and I, we didn't miss work. We were you know, we, we were happy for, for the time together because we never see each other. And, and I, I guess, I guess that can be, that can be a lesson as well. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you, you come to realize how much, uh, how time really is precious and yeah, every moment of life is precious and being able to spend it together with mm-hmm. somebody that uh, you really love is, uh, is a gift not taken lightly. Yeah, exactly. You know, our, our conversation on, on the show was uh, the, the arts the arts began leading the way with the pandemic. We we first heard about musicians in Italy during the lockdown there who were were singing and performing from from their balcony from their apartment balconies and and the music wafting across the streets, violin players and 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 all this. They were the most affected. I don't I don't have to tell you touring is is your bread and butter and and this interrupted by the way kind of the release of of the lost album didn't it you know i think you're right now that i think about it Mm -hmm. i'm just so delighted it's out i'm I'm forgetting ramp up to it but (laughs) um yeah it's it set us back on on a number of things it did give me a little time to go through our archives we have plans it's just there's so much to to romp through but we have so many tapes yeah uh, in our in our uh, vault, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. that we're planning to release, and uh, there's just so much. And th- these twelve songs really were uh, among all the things we're going through. The, these twelve songs stood together in, in terms of feeling and sounding like an album. So it was the easiest, one of the easiest first volleys, I guess. I don't know. Maybe we put something out before. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm losing track. But uh, it just, it was a no-brainer. All we needed to do was grab these, sequence them, uh, master them, and put a cover together, and we were good to go. Comes that way. 
thank you for the liner notes, by the way. That that's something that that I really miss. Uh, I was talking with with Chris about that and about record stores and yeah. um, liner notes are sort of sort of a lost art, uh, mm. but they were so important for us years ago when we were buying records and albums and they were uh the whole well the whole medium was so different wasn't it when it when, was i mean i guess in a way now that uh, vinyl has made such a strong com- comeback yeah. uh, people who maybe younger people who are just discovering a 12 by 12 album nowadays are uh, enamored with the aesthetic of it like we were where you it's not just uh, about picking up your phone and pressing an app and grabbing something out of the ether you're holding something that's tangible and real and hopefully has a a, something very fetching about the cover something to draw you into the world of the musicians that made it be it literal or or somehow symbolic or just artistic um yeah i'm not sure if liner notes are 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 making a comeback along with new releases but yeah when we were younger um the liner there was one liner note writer that was one of my heroes mm-hmm. uh, and, and he did notes for the warner's reprise lps and that was a guy called stan cornyn i don't know okay. if you remember that name i don't but yeah he he had a really cool sense of humor and uh insight into uh into the the music um uh business and uh and he just, he just illuminated and enlightened the listener with what he uh, brought to the package. And uh, yeah, so, I, mean, I actually had uh, the uh, good fortune to do a slew of liner notes through mm-hmm. the years, mostly for mm-hmm. reissue projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always took inspiration from him. And John Mendelssohn uh, was another guy. That name uh, sounds familiar. Yeah, he, he wrote, uh, he did a lot of uh, kinks reissues. He, Okay. He wrote okay. For the King Chronicles, just great when you can combine. Well, infotainment was the word that uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, mm-hmm. David Letterman came up with. When you could inform your reader and uh, imbue it with a sense of humor and lightheartedness, and uh, that to me, and good wordplay, that was always uh, something I looked forward to. Well, you know, so, something about liner notes. First of all, there were there were sometimes great stories. You get lyrics. You get. Uh, you get who produced an album or uh, who played on it, who guested on an album. And those those are kind of lost talents otherwise. So otherwise, you're just listening to a song without knowing all the parts and, and who's playing all those parts, especially if you're a budding musician. Uh, you, you'll latch on to a Dennis Dyken or a Simon Phillips or, uh, you know, some, some of those those names that don't necessarily pop off of uh, out of the music right yeah um, that they, they kind of get lost in a in a band name with with no context yeah and again uh they are so important now you know nowadays yeah you can look things up and and instantaneously answer questions you might have about personnel or producers and so forth but yeah back then, we would scour the uh, without that instantaneous uh, access to this information, we would scour every inch of the album cover and uh, any anything we could find in in rock journalism just to to learn more about what went yeah. into the making of the records that we love so much. And the other thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that, looking back, uh, when when I was younger and before we had uh, all these box sets and reissues which i dig that uh, highlight the um outtakes and studio chatter and mm-hmm. alternate takes i just feel that there was more mystery to listening to music you didn't really know how a record necessarily was made and yeah some of the mistakes that were on records turned into charming moments that be- almost became hooks sometime and uh it's like they say, even before television, radio allowed the listener to experience theater of the mind. Well, that's the mm-hmm. same thing with records before videos, before mm-hmm. everything was spoon fed to us about how a classic album was was made. And the, there was just a, a different uh, 
mindset about devouring the music that we love so much. here in Chicago and I remember I used to I used to look across the aisle and see Jeff Tweedy from Wilco thumbing thumbing through albums and CDs and what have you I I know I know Jim had a uh, had a record store for a while yeah. how much do you miss record stores and are, are the are the algorithms in say a YouTube anywhere near the the sort of surprise and uh and and mystery as you call it of discovering in a record store it's a different experience yeah. uh that's for sure you know i'm nostalgic for those days of course but yeah at the same time i don't know that i have the time or the inclination to go digging through piles of records at a used record store i'll still go to a flea market or uh or garage sales whenever i can that's what i really dig but honestly I have tons and tons of vinyl. I mean, mm -hmm. more than a human probably should have. So when you amass a large collection, you kind of can go shopping in your own stacks because <laughs> there's so many records that you, you've accumulated through the years that you forget about. So it is, I, I just need to go downstairs in my basement and kind of thumb through piles of, of records or cds and say, oh i forgot i had this you know <laughs> uh i do a weekly streaming radio show and i'm, I'm experiencing that a lot now because uh -huh. i'm going through my stuff and i'm finding records that i'm rediscovering or completely forgot about and it's really fun to bring them to the fore this is my theme softly i hear it now Soft as a snowflake poised on a window pane, or soft as a tear that has fallen. It's the same. This is my theme. <laughs> like the empty sounds of morning, the painful swish of rain, and the desperate hum of motors, the far off sound of my thoughts as they echo through the grayness. This is my theme. A sharp breath, a sudden sound of splintered glass. On uh, FMU, right? Can yes, it's on WFMU.org. It's called Denny's Den. Denny's Den, yeah. It's on every Wednesday, 2 to 4, but it's also archived, so you can hear it any time. Um, and it's a lot of fun. When I was a kid, if you asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a DJ. And that uh -huh. was, that's what it was. I, I got bit by the music bug at a, you know, when I was two, three years old. So yeah. this is uh, a lifelong passion. But yeah, I do miss, I, 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 I guess I miss not just going to record stores, because there are record stores. They're just so, so, and hmm. so fewer of a number of them but i guess i miss having the time and the uh yeah the wonderment of discovering new stuff and, and believe me i i am hearing new music all the time that i dig mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um being that life is so busy i do just sometimes down you know download cuts or uh, yeah. listen to them online and i'll take my little portable speaker with me when i'm doing dishes or doing laundry and i'll do a lot of listening that way because 
honestly, I don't have the same time I had when I as as I did when I was a kid to sit down, put yeah. on a record, and imbibe everything on the cover. I just don't have that kind of time. But I, uh, I like I said, doing the radio show takes a lot of time, so it's uh, it's almost it's almost filling that void, you know. But I used to love going to record stores. You know, that's the thing. Jimmy and Mike and I, we grew up together and we would do that. We would um, say, okay, next Saturday we'll take, we lived in Carteret, New Jersey. Right. Which it was a half hour south of, of New York City. And we said, all right, next Saturday we're off from school. We'll take the bus into the city. And then we'll hit 8th Street where there were import shops. And then we go mm -hmm. to Free Being, which was a great used record store on 2nd Avenue. I'm pretty sure it was. And um, right around the corner, not far from McSorley's Ale House, there was a very cool used book and record store. This old guy ran it. And aside from a few select bins, everything was a buck. So uh, wow. in one day in, in New York City, you could, you could really do well if you were. And there was another store called the 69 Cent Store. This is before 99 Cent Store, dollar stores existed, I guess. <laughs> And everything they had everything you can imagine in this store house, you know, uh, household goods and uh, bath items and you know, like maybe boxes of crackers. But they also had LPs and eight tracks, and they were all sixty nine cents. And there was the weirdest mm. hodgepodge of dumped records that you, you could hope to find. So we we scored a lot of cool stuff that way too. That was an adventure and. Uh, that was, I have very fond memories of doing that. That's a very long answer to your question. It just sparked a, a memory. Uh, I, I used to have, my first car was a 69 Le Mans, a gold 69 Le Mans that had a broken 8-track. So I, I, I found an 8-track and got eight, uh, some 8-track cassettes. And uh, just, boy, just love that. I, I, I wrote about it in my in my first novel. But man, 8-tracks uh, just brought back... Uh, a slew of memories you gave up the uh the radio business at least at least a, 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 in the beginning greg martin from kentucky headhunters has a has a radio show down in uh, in louisville greg kin had a uh, had a, a radio show in la for a number of years we spoke with uh with john records landecker uh who said that and and this is the reason that i got out of radio and started podcasting that radio was be becoming too corporate it wasn't fun anymore for him that that was that was part of the reason that that we we made the switch to to podcasting because I, we could have longer conversations with uh with people it wasn't it wasn't you know play an intro you have five minutes to talk and then you know play an outro and and that's it i, mm -hmm. I can actually have a conversation with somebody now you you started out in radio in college right well, I did. I uh, didn't last very long at all. I, uh, uh -huh. Jimmy, Mike, and I graduated in '75. We graduated mm -hmm. high school, mm -hmm. and um, we all went to various stages of college careers. <laughs> Mine lasted one semester. I was I was very interested in going into broadcasting at the time. Mm -hmm. I went to Seton Hall here in New Jersey which had a very good communications program and they had a mm -hmm. very good radio station and they still have, have a, a very respected radio station called WSOU. Okay. Um, and so I did go very intent on studying to become a broadcaster. And I worked at that radio station. And what was interesting about WSOU, and I, it was very professional setup. They had a, a, a the, 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 um, the, the room, the live room, I guess, the studio where mm -hmm. the uh, DJ would be. And there was a separate room for the engineer. Mm -hmm. So I never got on the air, but I did engineer a show. And it was serious business because they had an hourly live news feed from okay. whatever service it was, major service. So yeah. I had to be really on the ball to make sure I flipped the right switch to get uh -huh. the, the news that came on and I had to take meter readings. I don't remember how to do any of that, but I did when I was 17 or 18. And so I went to, I went to college and it's pretty much what you're saying. I, I went for that six, that, uh, that one semester. And I grew up listening to what was free form radio. Of course, right. AM radio is one thing which we, we cut our teeth on. And I still have, lo love listening to old air checks of, of 
AM radio from the 60s, but in the 70s, FM radio in the New York area, and I'm sure it was the same for Chicago and any major city, there were, it was a, it was wide open, freeform land, you know, major yeah. stations and college stations were playing everything under the sun. I was a big doo-wop fan when I was 13 years old. and I No kidding. Yeah, and there was th- maybe three very scholarly doo-wop shows on uh-huh. FM radio in New York. I knew more about that stuff back then than I do now. So, and then WABC FM, which became WPLJ, it was kind of the breeding ground for DJs that went on, like Vin Skelsa, who went yeah. on to, um, to work at uh, WNEW FM, so, uh, who actually came from WFMU, the station okay. I, I'm uh, aligned with. Him. But once I graduated high school and as I was studying in college, it occurred to me exactly what you were saying before. Radio was becoming too corporate and freeform was yeah. going away. The only way I would be happy doing radio was to be, do freeform and play play my own sets and um, and do what I wanted, which is exactly what I'm doing now on WFMU. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I do a two-hour show and I, I play, you know, whatever I want. <laughs> and um, it's a real labor of love and it's a real cool form of expression. Part of the beauty of being a music fan is uh, having the opportunity to share it. I think that yeah. with people and turn them on to music that they either already know and dig or introduce them to, uh, right. to things that they may not have heard and have fun with it. And it is fun. It's I always a- likened it to, so we had, we had the people in from, uh, from channel five, we were doing a fundraiser for, uh, for the, the script supervisor for Chicago PD who, who had lost her son to, to violence. So, so, you know, we, we were doing <laughs> And and I remember her her looking at me uh, at the first break and went, radio's hard. It's not like TV, you know. You, we, we can do do overs and multiple takes and all, yeah. all this. I, I always used to used to um, to tell people that radio to me was like stepping off a cliff. It's just how how gently you're you're going to land. But yeah. <laughs> come hell or high water, at the end of that two hours, you're hitting ground no matter what. So there, there's an immediacy to radio uh, that's not unlike being on stage with a band. Well, that's so true. People sometimes ask, what do you prefer, uh, playing live or recording? And it's really two different animals. Yeah. Uh, we love to write and record music. It's, there's, mm-hmm. it's a creative process that's uh, it's just such a, a gas. But uh, playing live, the music's already written. It has been yeah. recorded. You know it. You go on stage, and it's such a give and take with the audience. You're getting a, an immediate reaction and feedback from from the, the people who were there. And I I I, re- I always try to make a point of saying this in interviews, and it's 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 I mean it sincerely. We mm-hmm. couldn't do this without our audience. There's no yeah. We, I mean, we just we can't go out and and do this unless people want to hear it and come to our shows. Unfortunately, they still do. It'll be 43 years in March uh-huh. that we've been playing together. Uh, it's unbelievable. Isn't it though? And That's, so it does it feel like that. Yes. Does and it, no, yeah. uh, on one hand, yes. Uh, you look back and you see what we've accomplished. The records you guys all made. lived a life together. Well, yeah, but and yeah. keep in mind, we I know Mikey and Jimmy longer than the band, too. Yeah, and yeah, Pat I met in the late 70s, uh-huh. um, before the band formed. So I, I go back to third grade with Mike, right. I go back to right. first, first day of high school with Jimmy. So there's a lot, <laughs> it is a brotherhood, it is a family. Yeah. Uh, the 43 yeah. years and our audience, you know, it's it's just so important. And we're grateful that a lot of the folks that are coming to see us now mm-hmm. originally saw us when we were playing colleges in the mid 80s and early 90s. Wow. And, and we really our, our show and our music really resonated with them then. So they, of course, they went on to graduate, yeah. have careers and families. And now yeah. they're nesters and they're coming back to see us. World, worldwide, by the way, I've heard I've got I've got fans 
all over the world. I've heard from I've heard from Germany. I've heard from uh, from Bosnia and and, and ex Yugoslavia. My wife is from Sarajevo, and and she was a huge huge fan uh, of Smithereens back back in the day. I, I just heard from from a number of people. I haven't gotten as much reaction when we had Jim on, uh, but but I haven't gotten as much reaction to to anybody, in, including Martin Barr, who's who's a great great friend. But nobody has generated the sort of the sort of love and attention that the Smithereens get. Wow, that's that's really nice to hear. You know, I I think. Part of the reason that uh, our audiences identify identify with us so so much is because we are um, we've always I think stayed pretty true to our working class roots, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's where we that's where we come from, and we take our music and what we do very seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously, yeah. you know. And uh, we like to have fun. And the, the, some of the best compliments I think we ever got, even in recent years, uh, were that uh, people say that they feel the joy that we're having on stage, that we're experiencing on stage just by playing and That's being so together. And, yeah. and it pours out to the audience. And it, it's like... A, they know. It, it's like, a, it's like a communion in a way, you know? Oh. <laughs> and and, and we're, we're really... Um, we're doing good work because we're making people happy and, and uh, hoping, hopefully helping them to get through their days with, uh, with a little more levity and a little more happiness, you know, uh, I, I, I'd say, I'd say you're well on your way. Apart from, from the smithereens, you've toured with Ronnie Spector, the Shangri-Las, Nancy Sinatra. Um, so given, given that, that the smithereens sound is so solidly, anchored in the, in those classic rock or those those old rock roots the british invasion the motown themes what what does playing with those acts mean for for dennis dyke it's full circle i guess you would say yeah um, playing with ronnie specter god rest her soul uh yeah was a, such a joy incredible work on that record those those yeah round the kit fills he did right that was completely inspiring to me not let alone the whole uh combined sound of the orchestra and then ronnie's voice just able to cut through all that muck mm -hmm. <laughs> and all that reverb it was so exciting as a kid to hear that and inspirational and then um when i got the chance to actually play with her and record with her and tour with her it, it well it was like being a kid again playing oh, the I records bet. that i always loved and and it was a good band and she was the real deal you know she was um still vital and doing new material it wasn't just mm -hmm. an old you know it was so much fun and very fulfilling and uh, yeah i played with mary weiss from the shangri-las who also was still very authentic in her approach to what she did.
Yeah, all these artists. Um, it's not like you're trying to replicate the records. In some cases, you are, I suppose. Yeah. But you, you're trying to bring something fresh to them, the music mm -hmm. and, and keep it vital. And when they see that and they appreciate that, mm -hmm. and they let you know about it, well, that's that's what it's all about. I forgot that uh, that Al Blaine played on "Be My Baby." Uh, you you've talked about him as as an influence in the past. Yeah, Al Blaine, uh, many many drummers. I think Max Weinberg was the first one to say it in print. Uh, okay, he said something along the lines of, uh, "It was quite a revelation to discover that." Hal Blaine was 12 of my favorite drummers <laughs> because, you know, back in the sixties, uh, it wasn't well publicized that uh, studio musicians were sometimes playing on records that you thought uh, were just created by the band themselves. Like in like the beach boys, for example, but I mean, Dennis Wilson actually did drum on quite a few big beach boys records, but, but Hal Blaine did too. And he played on Monkeys Records and Association and uh, wow. Mamas and Papas, on and on and on. Hey, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. A little more bite and a little less spark A little less fight and a little more spark And close your mouth and open up your heart And baby, satisfy me Satisfy me, baby Baby, close your eyes and listen to the music And dig to the summer breeze It's a groove night and I can show you how to use it To come along with me and put your mind at ease Hey, a little less conversation A little more action breeze All this aggravation and satisfaction in me those records, I mean, I just learned to play from listening to those records. Mm -hmm. And Hal became a good friend. And that was very cool, too, because I could just sit and talk with him and have, you know, just have laughs with him. And he actually used my drums once when he was playing in New York in 1985. He was okay. touring with David. He was touring with David Grisman. And uh, so I got to actually be his drum tech for a day. That was quite thrilling. I've always tried to uh, make a point of meeting the people who inspired me, drummers that have meant a lot to me whenever possible. And you could always learn from just talking with them things you might not otherwise know. And it's, it's always been a big thrill for me. Uh, before we get to the, uh, to the new album, uh, the lost album, rather, uh, I want to talk to you about your 2009, since we're sort of on this, uh, this classic rock and, and Motown um, uh, binge here. Uh, late music, uh, oh. your your album with uh, uh, with you and and Bell Sound. Talk about the influences that, that what that album was was meant to achieve for you or meant to meant to say apart from Smithereens. It that late music grew out of a, a songwriting partnership that I had with a fella called Pete Tabella, who was yeah. a guy I knew since the late mid late seventies. Yeah, and I did my first home recordings with him. He's very very talented guy, uh -huh. and. Uh, we just started writing songs together. I had, it occurred to me, you know what? I, I always thought that to write songs, you needed to play a guitar or piano, but really all you need is an idea or a melody mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. the spark and you can write songs. So it occurred to me that I had melodies and ideas floating around in my head since I, that I remembered since I was a little kid. 
Mm-hmm. So okay, so then it was that that album to me just was the uh, realization that uh, oh, I could actually create music, and I, I was very fortunate to work with Pete. He's a great artist, and and uh, a lot of those tracks on that album were started out as demos, just songwriting demos, and with the great help of um, another dear friend, Dave Amels, who's a, a, a fan, fantastic musician and a great creator and thinker he, he helped me finish the album mm-hmm. and we got a lot of cool people to help us uh finish it off but anyway of the, ins- the the influences and the inspiration obviously there's a there's a, a strong brian wilson influence yeah on yeah record. also the four seasons the earlier four seasons records are some mm-hmm. of my uh earliest I think, inspirations i think that comes out really strongly in the sun's going to shine in the morning Oh, Four Seasons influence? That's yeah, interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, uh, it, it was it just something that had to come out of me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, 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 I keep telling myself, I've got to finish all the songs that I've started since uh-huh. then and do another one. Because, well, there was one track that uh, I issued digitally this year. Uh, don't know if you've heard it called Bear in My Garden. You know the the label Bear Family that does reissue. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In, in 2010, they were um, approaching their 35th birthday as a label. And for those who don't know, Bear Family is the Tiffany of reissue labels, based <laughs> in Germany. And they they do exhaustive work where they go back to the original session tapes, and um, wow. they they really care about quality, and they do hardcover books. Mm-hmm. For their packages, I'm a big fan of their Del Shannon box set, for just to name one. But they've done a lot of rockabilly and early rock and roll. Anyway, mm-hmm. so they enlisted a, a slew of artists to contribute a bear centric song to be included in this three disc box set to commemorate their 30th, 35th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So at the time, there were a lot of bears invading suburban gardens and trash cans. So I, I had to come up with some idea, and so. Oh, with my friend Chris Bolger, we wrote this song called Bear in My Garden, and it came out on this box set. It, didn't, it kind of stayed under the radar. Then earlier this year, with the unfortunate situation in uh, Ukraine, it occurred to me that this theme, uh, otherwise innocuous, can take on a different meaning. Yes, it Bear. can. <laughs> and so uh, we, we remastered it, did an edit, and created a video for it. My friend Dave Mortlock did a video for it and put it out there. And all the proceeds are going to benefit the people of Ukraine. There's a bear running into my garden and there's no telling That was the, the latest the Dennis Dyke with Bell Sound release, but uh, there will be more. I'm really happy with with late music and uh, yeah, yeah. I um, it just speaks to that. It, it speaks to that that roots working class uh, direction that you and the band uh, and and I'm thinking of of Pat's um, uh, Pat's uh, album that he dedicated that he, that he recorded uh, Buddy Holly music. Uh-huh. Um, you know that. That you guys that that underlying everything you do is is that the roots of rock and roll, mm-hmm. and I think I think that's that's one of one of your your strengths and appeals and what people respond to so strongly because everybody knows that music worldwide. Yeah, and nothing exists in a vacuum, right? Um, yeah, right. Look at the Beatles records. I mean, they're yeah. <laughs> they were their influence. They kind of wore their influences on their sleeve, but at the same time, uh, while they were loving Buddy Holly and writing songs that were inspired by him, it sounds like the Beatles because that's the only way it could sound, unless you were one of those people who did a drop dead imitation and could channel <laughs> you know, 
like uh, Orion with uh, or, or Orion with Elvis Presley. Orion, yeah. But, but uh, um, you know, we're always standing on the shoulders of giants, you know. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so uh, we all take from, uh, like Frank Sinatra took his whole phrasing style from Tommy Dorsey's trombone playing. Yeah, that's how he learned to breathe and 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 sing. The way he did was from listening to another artist. So we all take from 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 whence we came. You know, let's let's get on to the new album. I, I know you've got a lot going on today, and I, I don't want to keep you too too long. But uh, so stop bringing me down. By by the way, uh, when when I said raw and gritty, this album. So I understand that that the master tapes for this were lost and that this is the this is sort of the final master recording is that right yeah um these came from a dat you're right and right there's, a, there's another bygone format right exactly that, man oh man yeah but the dat was a tiny cassette but it was digital tape uh-huh. and uh, what happened is the multi-tracks to these from these sessions along with a, a bunch of other uh of tapes that uh, we amassed uh, uh-huh. perished in a fire at a, a storage facility in Brooklyn, along uh-huh. with many other archival materials that belong to many. I remember that. Yeah, many, yeah. We were driving home from a gig in I think in uh, Virginia, and we were trying to make it for soundcheck in New York City at BB King's on a Sunday. I think it was okay Saturday and uh, whatever year that was. And as we're driving up the Jersey Turnpike, we see this all this smoke coming from Brooklyn and you say, well, there's a big fire over there. I wonder what that is. <laughs> well, we learned what it was in a day or two. Oh, but, man. Uh, so fortunately, fortunately, we did have good digital copy of uh, the tracks that comprised the Lost Album. Everybody Sit right down and listen to me Listen people Gather around, there's something to see Sister, sister No one's gonna hurt you tonight Oh my brother Give your love with all of your might Don't you know Things will be alright I will be there with you all through the night So there, there's no overdubbing, no no masking, no nothing. This is this is what this is what was on the tape and yep. and you just put it out. Yeah, it was what I'll tell you real quick what we did. We were between labels and we had all this material and we decided we're going to go in like we did on our first EP in 1980 and mm-hmm. self-produce our, our, our sessions. So we went to Crystal Sound Studio on West 19th Street in New York City. We returned to recording in New York. We, were, yeah. we, did, the, uh, we did our first two EPs on our first album in New York, mostly at the record plant on West 44th mm-hmm. Street, a pretty, pretty legendary studio. But then Capitol had us work on the West Coast for three LP. So we're back in New York. We're sleeping in our own beds. We're reporting to the office figuratively every day and really uh-huh. stayed focused on, on recording. It was a lot of fun. And uh, we recorded two albums worth of material. Twelve of those songs were uh, re-recorded for a date with the Smithereens because shortly after we wrapped up all the sessions in Your 1994 album. Yeah. Then yeah. It, we got signed to RCA later in 93 and then we re-recorded those 12 songs for a date and then the other 12 is is what uh we put on the lost album so how does because this is a really really strong album with with i I think i think some classic smithereens songs on it stop bringing me down everyday world uh i'm sexy which which I, i is just just a great great song uh monkey man these these are are should be destined destined to be Smithereens classics. How does a great album like that just get placed in a box and not carried over to RCA? Everyday world doesn't like change. 
Like I said, we did those twelve. We took those twelve songs that I guess yeah, we yeah. deemed, I suppose we deemed superior at the time uh, yeah. to record for RCA, and then they only kept us on board for one album. Okay, so uh, so we just kept moving forward after that, writing new material and coming up with the new albums worth of, of stuff. I guess we just thought of of this material, the songs on the Lost album as well. Been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on to new and bigger better things hopefully when we did listen to him recently we 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 felt the same way it it holds up pretty well and uh we should put it out so we did (laughs) i'm glad (laughs) i'm glad that i'm really delighted and heartened that you and uh and a lot of people we're talking to so far are feeling so positively about the album Oh, and I was listening. So, so I'll start with uh, "Stop Bringing Me Down." With with o- opens this this riff, very reminiscent of Black Sabbath's "Iron Man." your vision as a drummer or do you remember how how you approach that song whenever you approach any tune you try to get inside what the song is about Mm -hmm. it's funny because we're talking about Hal Blaine before just last night I was looking at on YouTube at an interview with him and I actually interviewed him once and he told me the exact same thing when when he was going when he would go into the studio not unlike an actor, he would try and try and suss out what the motivation of the yeah, song, yeah. Was, what the story was, and uh, somehow you just let that, the essence of the song, mm-hmm. speak to you as a musician, and um, you suss it out, and you, you you either get it the first time or you keep trying <laughs> different feels. I I don't remember specifically why I did that particular pattern on that song. It just I guess on in one on one hand it was something different for me mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. for the band's grooves we hadn't tried anything like that so that's another part of it you just try to make things sound different and stand apart from each other so you know this the song is about a guy working in part working in a warehouse and it almost the drums almost kind of signify the guy picking up and loading boxes you know, yeah yeah the yeah there's there's that that heavy solid rhythm throughout. Face the world with pride. Hey, you're looking good. Where'd you get those eyes? You're gonna fall for the same old lines. Your eyes are pretty blue You know it isn't true Next you'll be saying Where you've been all my life Can't you wake up No, it's not the same What's on your mind If you can't see anything Stop wasting all your time 
face the world with pride um, speaks to uh, speaks to the the diversity of influences and sound on this album. Uh, the 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 Lennon and McCarthy and uh, McCartney hooks are are solid in this song. Yeah, that's Jimmy's tune. It's a good one, and people are reacting to that one in a big way. It is. It's, yeah. it's very melodious, and uh, the harmonies are are very cool, and uh, it's got a nice uh, lilting groove to it, which I think resonates with listeners too. Uh, Monkey Man has this punkier Ramones esque uh, sound to it. it. It's it's such it's such a fresh and diverse album. Uh, have you have you guys decided on on a single release? Does anybody release singles anymore? Uh, I, I saw that the album is is online, uh, so so people uh, on YouTube, so people can hear it. You don't get the quality sound you get from from a vinyl or or uh, or a CD. But singles? Well, I guess that sometimes they call them focus cuts now, right? Oh, uh, okay. Well, yeah, we didn't release a vinyl single, but uh, we did uh, send notes, notice to radio uh-huh. uh, that uh, the single, so to speak, from this album is Out of This World, the leadoff track. We've already performed it live. We started doing it just this month. For the first time ever, we've never. The only other time we've ever played it was in the studio. So yeah, we're we're, we're doing that and a couple other songs live. We have so much stuff that's going to be coming out. Believe me. Oh uh, great. Okay. Yeah, and uh, again, I got to go purchase some discipline somewhere so, <laughs> so I can get uh, to all all my to do list items. You know, Marshall Crenshaw, uh, who's who's uh, who's been on the show. A couple of times, his front of the band since uh, since 2018 with Rob Wilson, rather from the uh, from the Gin Blossoms. Mostly, it's it's been Marshall. I think any any consideration for the Smithereens recording anything with with either Marshall or or Robin? I, yes, absolutely. We're, we're yeah in the early planning stages of doing a new record. We're working on material, and uh, we'd like for both of them to sing. And I think uh-huh. they're both totally up for it. Uh-huh. So, uh, yes, next year we'll we'll scratch that off our to do list for sure. Fantastic, fantastic! Yeah. I can't I can't wait for that. Uh, and and this is just this is just an observation. I, I heard I heard a little bit of online criticism about Dear Abby about it being dated. People won't get the reference, but I viewed it more as as a love song to a girl named Abby. Dear Abby, won't you try to be civilized? Dear Abby, won't you pick up the phone? Dear Abby, won't you try to remember? think it really works both ways your your thoughts on on that a little bit yeah you know for those who don't know dear abby i guess still is does it still exist as a uh, advice column mostly for yeah. lovelorn uh, folks <laughs> um there was dear abby and the ann landers column i figured they were sisters actually like any song that exists sometimes the question is posed what comes first the lyrics or the or the, uh, the music and uh, Sammy Khan, the great songwriter, Sammy Khan's answer mm-hmm. to that was the phone call. <laughs> he said <laughs> that usually you need an impetus to write a song, and sometimes I guess in his case maybe he had film assignments or, or uh, ideas were suggested to him. But you do need a starting point and. Other songwriters' advice I I remember reading was read comics, comic strips, comic books, just to glean pithy 
title suggestions or uh, to spark ideas just from very simple but very expressive ideas. So, dear Abby, I'm sure Pat was just looking through the newspaper one day, and it, this happens all the time. I'm always writing down ideas for titles, always. When you think of, uh, well, to answer your question, I think Pat probably just saw a, a column in the newspaper, Dear Abby, it's a great title idea. And mm -hmm. uh, they come to you out of the blue sometime where you could just think of a what might be a, a well-worn cliche sometime or, or a phrase that is often used. And if you hear it out of context, uh, sometimes it just makes for great uh, spark for a song yeah. idea or a title, you know? The tambourine is is really well placed um, it, and it just shows it just shows the, the the diversity and the expertise and the the editing that is is so critical for for every artist uh, that is uh, is manifest in not only the lost album but the smithereens man it's funny you mentioned tambourine and percussion it, it really is the icing on the cake sometimes that yeah, uh, yeah. That really can like hand claps on Beatles records, for example, or <laughs> or think about all the the percussion on Motown records or Phil Spector. Yeah. I mean, you take that away, and it's just sometimes even if it's a great song, the track may not be quite as enticing, you know. Yeah. So yeah. it's all and it's uh, it's all part of the recipe. And then sometimes, like you guys, uh, you hit on every cylinder, man. Thanks. Well, that that's always the goal, <laughs> and you know. We're talking about live performances earlier. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean this in all humility. Jimmy and I say this for sure, that when we hit the stage, we can't help. It's not even trying. We just can't help playing like we're teenagers. You know, we still have that That's enthusiasm so awesome. and that spark. And it's just uh, it's just what we do. Dennis Dyken is a founding member of the Smithereens. They are performing one night only in Chicago, November 2nd at City Winery, citywinery.com. This might uh, cause Stephen Hawking's head to spin, but their new 1993 album is simply titled The Lost Album. The website is officialsmithereens.com. Dennis, thank you, man. This was this was wonderful. I had a ball. I, I, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, we'll do it again sometime, I hope. I would absolutely love that, and uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into the archives and listen to your radio show. So, uh, do you miss classic rock? By the way, there there's so few classic rock stations. Well, you can't you can't miss it because you still hear it in supermarkets and airports and <laughs> you know convenience stores. And... But you grew up as I did on Muzak. Did you ever think that you'd be listening to to pop and rock music or classic rock in uh, in those places? Probably not when I was a kid. I guess when I was a kid, I probably would have preferred it to the music. Now yeah. I, I I love listening to that. I love easy listening stuff. You know, there used uh -huh. to be a format, a radio format called Beautiful Music, yeah, uh, which was easy listening and. Uh, you can find some of those air checks online too. <laughs> I, I, I dig that. No, I think it, it would, when I was a kid, it would be beyond my wildest dreams to think I could hear a liar, liar in a supermarket. <laughs> you're, you're preaching to the choir, buddy. One got stuck in the middle, another one leading the path. My thanks to Dennis Dyken from the Smithereens for joining me on this episode, and thanks to all of you for listening. If you like this program, please click the subscribe button below to receive notifications about all of our future programs, and don't forget to share it with friends and family. For Playtime, I'm W.C. Turk.